This is Takeaway Only, a podcast about the hospitality industry in crisis. I'm Howie Kahn, and these are the stories of the people who take care of you. Today's guest is Moonlin Sai, co-owner of Kopitiam in New York City and co-founder of Heart of Dinner. It is an organization bringing comfort and food to homebound senior citizens throughout Manhattan's Chinatown. Coming up, learn why Heart of Dinner is critical to Chinatown's vitality, what Moonlin is up against, what she's cooking, and why her collaborators are essential to her mission. We're back tomorrow with an all-new guest. Please hit subscribe so you don't miss it. Stay tuned now for Moon Lin. My guest today on Takeaway Only is Moonlin Tsai from Kopitiam in Chinatown, New York City, a restaurant I love, I dearly miss, but also one um, whose efforts I'm really loving following on, on social media. You have a new thing you're doing called Heart of Dinner. Tell me the backstory. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me, Howie. Thank you for being here. Of course. So Heart of Dinner, it's... So the preface, everything has been happening so quickly and you just got to get really creative organically and fluidly um so back in january when the mandates or when covid the news of covid first hit our neighbors in chinatown they were suffering 70 to 80 percent losses of business so back then it was more so a how do we support our neighbors you know so we were posting on instagram our favorite places and then independently my girlfriend yin and i we were pulling all-nighters just wondering what can we do separately from Kopitiam to give back to our community. And so that was how part of dinner, but it was initially table to table. We didn't know there was another table to table <laughs> in Jersey that was kind of doing along the same thing. So the idea initially was to create a uh, food tour with our industry friends. So it'd be Yin and I, and then we would bring around two to three rotating co-hosts in the industry, you know, chefs, restaurateurs, food writers, who have a very special place um, in their hearts for Chinatown. So the idea was each of us would pick our own favorite restaurants there, and then we would bring a group of maybe three to five guests, and we would hop around, and we would be pricing them at a suggested donation price between 50 and 70, knowing that Chinatown prices are it's very reasonable. The dollar stretches really far. And then at the end of the tour, we would disperse the funds through the five restaurants. Um, so that was late January, early February, started getting everybody ready, all the things were happening, spreadsheet was made, <laughs> and then we were about to launch, and all the mandated about the closures, half capacity happened, and so from there, uh, <laughs> table to table, then segued into providing meals for the vulnerable. So initially we're focusing on providing meal kits for students, which is a, a very near and dear topic to me because my team at Kopitiam, it's, they're 80% high school students up front. So knowing that, oh my goodness, our entire team, they're not going to be at school. They're not going to be receiving the meals that, you know, when you go to school here, you get. Um, that was really rough. So that night, Yin and I, we ran to Trader Joe's and we bought all these like dried food, dried ingredients. We made meal kits and left them up front at Kopitiam for anyone to pick up who's in need. And then also 
letting our team know, hey, we know that school is closed right now, so if you need anything, just let us know. Um, and then the half capacity, then the mandated closures happened where we didn't even get a chance to segue into the new operating system or schedule. Uh, we had a furlough, all close to 30 people on our team. So that was really rough. And then, sorry, there's just like so many different moving parts. So we have the Kopi Tam aspect, then we have the heart of dinner aspect. Heart of dinner specifically went from providing meals for the vulnerable, the high school students, to then us talking at night, reading stories about how uh, Asian seniors were getting racially profiled and attacked on the streets. Um, me personally, I saw an older Asian lady walking towards Target, trying to get in. The sky was opening the doors for everybody, and then as she was approaching, and she had to be close to, I would say around 80, you know, walking with the cane really slowly. He looked at her and just slammed the door and left. And I still have that image in my head, and that was just so heartbreaking because for me, being Taiwanese-American, I think of my grandma in Taiwan and just how would I feel if, that just, if I just saw that happen? My, I, my blood was boiling. It was so rough. So then Yen started making all these calls to different organizations in the area, and then we funneled it down to we really wanted to provide meals for Asian seniors. A, it's been really difficult finding food that is comforting for them. A lot of the restaurants were closing, the markets were closing, uh, the seniors can't make it out because A, either physically they're unable or because they are elderly, they are more vulnerable to COVID. So from there we started like, okay, I think on Wednesdays, which is my day off from Kopi Tiam, I can make about 200 meals. And then Yin was in charge of getting all the logistical planning ready. So then we tested it out. We did 200 meals the initial week and partnered up with um, CPC, Chinese American Planning Council. And so we did that one week. And then our friends were like, that's amazing. How do we support? So th the first two weeks we were doing it out of our own pockets. And then as people started uh, seeing it, they wanted to be a part of it. And so since then, Heart of Dinner, we've been making hot meals and also providing in pantry staples for multiple homes. So CPC and now Hamilton Madison House, which has been around for over 100 years. Um, and then this week we're taking on University Settlement. And to be able to scale, and I think this is the silver lining and the beauty of what's been happening is restaurant friends have been banding together so strongly and it's been so beautiful to see. Heart of Dinner, we're now partnering up with Helen Wuna of Saigon Social. We have Jacqueline Russo that's making 80 loaves of freshly soft milk toast for our seniors. It's so, oh, the aroma when you're there, it's, it's so good. And then also Maiko and Emily from Beso. Um, Hannah Wong used to be Avanda, now Haima. And then this last week we added Jay Lee from No One. So the idea is no one is making money from this. It's not like, you know, a bigger organization that's able to pay you an exuberant amount of money, but it's everyone who's doing this is doing it from their hearts and they have a tie to their Asian grandparents. Um, so our goal now is 20,000 meals. Last month we did close to, I want to say 3,500 meals collectively, which is amazing. And then we're also, in addition to providing just 
hot meals and the pantry ingredients, it's important for us to provide comfort and warmth to these Asian seniors who the past couple months or the past month, they've been sitting at home by themselves. They've just been sitting there and a lot of them are going through depression because a lot of them don't have families. Their aides who've been taking care of them aren't going to work anymore. They're starving. Um, a lot of them do get, what is it called? Uh, meals on wheels. But unfortunately, these meals are very inaccessible for them. You know, it's canned tuna in a jar where a lot of them have arthritis or just are unfamiliar with that type of food. Um, so our goal is to provide meals that remind us of our grandparents cooking for us and just something that can uplift their spirits. So initially when we first started, Yin was writing uh, little notes on top of the to-go boxes after hearing about the isolation. So on it says, uh, which translates in Chinese into, we love you and we're thinking of you. Being very mindful that maybe many of them don't have children, so we can't or we try not to call them gong gong po po, which is usually what we would call out of respect, like grandma, grandpa. So initially, we just started writing these on the to-go container lids, and then friends online saw them. They're like, how do we become a part of this? And we're like, hey, that's amazing, because we're trying to scale, and we can really only write so many notes. That's awesome. If you want to write notes, please send it over to Kopitiam. Let me know. Our initial goal was 1,600 notes. Within a week, we got over 2,000 notes. And then they were coming from all over the world. It was coming from Taiwan, from California, from North Carolina. And a lot of people saying how, you know, they wish they could be a part of this, but unfortunately, they're not in New York. And so I wish I could show you, but these notes, they're beautiful. They're like full on cards. Some are drawings from kids who just started learning how to write Chinese. So that's kind of where we're at for our heart of dinner right now. It's been, it's only been a month. It feels like it's been longer, but I'm just so blown away by the camaraderie of everybody in this neighborhood and the community in general. It's really beautiful. Um, what kinds of food are, are, are you bringing them? What are, what are the comforting foods in this situation? <laughs> so the foods, when we reach out to these organizations, we're like, please give us notes as to any like food dietary restrictions or specifications so a lot of them it's a uh, low sodium low oil no fried foods and something that's very easy on the teeth and also a very specific note was if it's going to be something that's going to be a little more tough please keep in mind that a lot of them have arthritis so no jars that have to be open and so the initial two weeks i was making the first week I made brown rice porridge infused with tomato, so giving them that vitamin C, and then sauteed king oyster mushrooms, and keeping in mind that it's more than just sustenance, it's trying to pack it in with as much nutrition as possible. So across the board, what we've been seeing a lot of is uh, porridge in many different ways. We have a lot of the Asian diaspora covered. We got the Japanese, we got Korean, Vietnamese, Chinese, Taiwanese, and everyone just has their own take of what their grandparents made. Um, let's see. Helen of Saigon Social, last week she made a seafood and a fish porridge with chicken broth. Oh, it, it looks so good. This girl is insane. She does it all by herself. 
and she's making 170 meals every Wednesday for us. She's waking up at five, getting to the store at six, pumping these out. And I know the girls from Beso last week, they did a pickled cabbage with shrimp and fish. I'm just blown away. Like seeing all these pictures, it's, it's amazing. And it's so beautiful. Um, I did a tomato egg that reminded me of my grandparents. And then Yen the other week, she made a, uh, it's like a braised tofu with king oyster mushrooms. Trying to keep it more vegetarian, palate friendly, just in case there are dietary restrictions. So it's been really fun just seeing everyone's creativity and what they conjure up during these weeks. What's a tomato egg? Tomato egg. So it's a dish that I really hated growing up. It's literally, so it's a very quintessential Taiwanese dish. It's tomato, a little bit of sugar. Then you put in, put in a bunch of eggs. And I don't know when I was younger, it something I, well, I didn't really like eggs growing up and it wasn't until maybe recently that it started getting more palatable, but it's just a very simple dish, a bunch of protein in it. And just a dish that if you're in Taiwan, everyone grew up eating. It's usually served with a side of rice or served on top of porridge for breakfast, lunch, or dinner. Um, almost like a tomato egg scramble. I like it. I mean, the food you're, you're serving to the uh, elderly in, in Chinatown is kind of the food I've been craving through all of COVID-19, which is, which is interesting. Goes to show you how comforting universally yeah. that food is. Um, I, I want to talk about where this all started for you. Most people's, uh, most restaurants in the United States, their COVID-19 story does not start in January. And yours does because of a kind of xenophobia and a kind of racism that's maybe rooted in, you know, what happened with SARS, um, you know, m- many, many years ago. But how let down did you feel by by that in that moment? Was it hurtful for you? Was it just let's figure out any way through this? What's what's the, the the feeling of a restaurateur when you suddenly have to combat something ugly like that? It doesn't pop up so directly every day. Yeah. So the story. So I think it was a little over a decade year, decade ago when SARS hit. And I was fairly young back then. I was still in high school. And my parents, they own Chinese-American restaurants in San Diego. So I grew up in San Diego, 90%. My high school, actually, all throughout my life, my brother and I were the only Asians at our school. Um, And my parents' restaurants were one of the only Chinese-American restaurants in the area. And when SARS hit, oh, man, I just remember everyone, like, I was getting people were like oh don't go to chins anymore because you're gonna get sick i remember working at the restaurant helping my parents out and guests would actually come in and ask if i dine here am i gonna get sick am i gonna get sars and i just remember back then being young like what kind of stupid question is that you know but then you couldn't do anything and i just remember feeling really angry back then and more so imploding and not being able to do anything about it so when COVID hit, uh, even before January, because my mom splits time between Taiwan and America, I was already starting to hear about what was happening in Asia, um, not knowing how quickly it would spread to the rest of the world. So when it arrived as early as January and then hearing all these stories, 
it made me really angry thinking that, you know, there has been no issue from the government yet, but already all these Chinese restaurants are being targeted. Xenophobia was happening already. If you walk down Chinatown, it was desolate. It was empty. And then it was so heartbreaking thinking that so many of these restaurants, they were passed down through generations. And a lot of these are the businesses from Asian immigrants who saved up their entire life savings to open this restaurant. And they're not, they don't have the liberty to, you know, close down temporarily. It's like, no, no, this is a permanent shutter for them. So that was really heartbreaking seeing that. And then even just walking through Chinatown and my girlfriend and I getting targeted ourselves. So it hit really close to home because this is my first time living somewhere where it's predominantly Asian in the neighborhood and seeing the repercussions of, you know, what people were inflicting on that. And so then I was reaching out to a couple of my restaurant friends who own uh, Asian restaurants in, not in Chinatown specifically, but in Midtown, in Brooklyn. And I was like, you know, how is your business doing? They're like, oh, it dropped like 30%. And so that's when you knew it's very specific that it was racism and not because of, you know, just being scared of going outside. So after that, it was just, what do you do? Like, how do you, being at an age now and having a platform to combat this, or at least try and do our best to, what can we do collectively to bring awareness that you're not going to get sick by walking into Chinatown. You're not going to get sick by eating a Chinese dish. You know, what is, what is the different, like, it's just mind boggling that the ignorance of so many people, you know, it's, it's very hurtful. My girlfriend, the other day she was walking and there was a guy walking his dog and he was coming towards her. She was walking and he saw her and his dog, you know, he had to take a shit and was waiting and he didn't even let the dog finish until he just grabbed the dog and just walked and served to the other side of the street where, okay, we get it if it's social distancing, right? And then you're just avoiding everybody. But then he swept to the other side of the street where there was a bunch of people who weren't Asian and he was just right next to all of them. So it's small things like that. Even Uber drivers, you know, seeing an Asian person coming in, rolling down the windows, but then when another person comes in, it's totally fine. It's, it's very hurtful and it definitely needs to be brought to light what's been happening. And, you know. It does make you double down though on, on, the community you do serve and the people who you know do need you it makes that all the more relevant for sure yeah our community has in a funny way has never been stronger uh i feel like social media the past couple of years it's really broken a lot of people apart it's disconnected a lot of us but through this social media has been almost a lifeline of banding people together and just seeing how many people out there really want to help now. And I think a lot of us were kind of around the same age or same generation where we were too young when SARS hit, but now collectively we are stronger and we're more aware as to how to, you know, clap back. So seeing that happen has been 
like a saving grace. It's given a lot of us a lot more hope throughout this time and having, you know, amazing allies who are not Asian, but allies of the Asian community standing up for us. It makes a big difference. What's, uh, what, what, what does the future of the restaurant look like for you? Honestly, it's just been literally a day to day. Um, we're finally acclimating to the new normal. Uh, after we furloughed everybody, it was just my business partner, Keo and I running the store bare bones. Um, and that was really hard. We were pulling like 16 hour days again, every single day. And then last month we went into partnership with rethink New York. And the initial goal was they were so sweet about it. They're like, you know, we're going to give you a stipend so you can bring your team back. You can bring back this amount of people. And the thing is you have to make 300 meals every single day. And we're like, that's amazing. You know, we get to bring our team back. They're going to be so happy. <laughs> but then what we didn't realize is because a lot of our front of house team, they're in high school, their parents wouldn't let them come back. So we already promised Rethink that we would move forward with them. So then it ended up being just me and Keo pumping out 300 meals between the two of us every single day. And then recently we were able to bring on one or two people to help us out. So it's been looking like that and then reopening and then hearing about how, you know, other states and cities are slowly reopening. I'm kind of on a standby just waiting to hear what the, rule, the new rules and regulations are going to be. Uh, our space isn't huge. So if everyone had to be six feet apart, I don't even think it makes sense for us to reopen the you way that like we, four people in there. Yeah. So I'm <laughs> like, uh, I think we, it might actually make more sense for us just to operate the way we are right now uh, to go window. Take away. So, yeah. There's been, again, with the community and feeling very blessed. Uh, there's an architect that, used to frequent Kopitiam and he reached out and he was like, I want to offer my services pro bono where I want to come in, just brainstorm how to get the restaurant back on its feet and what that looks like and help you with whatever design or repurposing of the restaurant and, you know, things like that. It's very touching. So I don't know what it's going to look like when we reopen. We might have to focus more on takeout delivery and retail, kind of like what we're doing now. Um, or if we can have a dine-in option, I, I really don't know what that looks like. Will Heart of Dinner continue for the foreseeable future? So Heart of Dinner is always going to continue and it's always going to have a focus on, uh, food and the culinary side of it. The main difficulty when restaurants start to open is we're going to lose all our restaurant partners unless people want to come in before their hours on their day off to make meals for the seniors. But Yid and I are hoping that by then, the government, the aides are going to be able to come back and cook for the seniors. And then we're going to be able to segue back into our initial plan, which was the food tours. Because at that time, that's when Chinatown is going to need the most help and the most love. Um, whatever restaurant is still standing, we're just going to go in there and give them the biggest hug and put in the biggest order and really just show all that love to, I think, the area that needs it the most. Take me with you. I will be on tour number Please. one. Yes. Number one, number one. Done. Would love to have you. <laughs> oh, man, I love your food. Um, as long as your restaurant's on the tour. A little Kaya <laughs> toast. Mm. 
I've been eating so much kaya toast lately. It's ridiculous. A little little bit of pan mee, some fried anchovies. Yes. Yeah, the Howie special. (laughs) (laughs) A dream. dream. Um, Our show is called Takeaway Only. Moonlin, what's your big takeaway from hustling through this this epidemic and facing all the things you've faced since January? I think the biggest takeaway for me is just being blown away about how quickly a community can band together through such a difficult time and how it's always going to be bigger than just you or I. And also just realizing and shining light on those who have been there doing such hard work, you know, these, these senior homes, these people that, these organizations that have been around for over a hundred years and have been needing a lot of assistance that, haven't been getting it and just being more aware even uh through harder dinner every week we provide meals for uh the chinatown cleaning the street cleaning team and these people work 365 days a year every day they cover the equivalent of walking from chatham square to flushing you know spraying down the streets cleaning removing graffiti and that's so important for a small business owner also you know just and then these people, they're there all the time and you'll see them in their blue jackets. And I just don't feel like enough people really acknowledge them ever. So being more mindful of these like unsung heroes in the community that have been doing so much for all of us. I do think this has been a real moment for people to truly see other people. I, mm-hmm. I think all the all the folks who seemed more invisible before this um, have much more visibility now, which is strange because it took us all being home and inside Mm -hmm. to actually see it. Um, But I'm grateful for that. And I'm grateful for all all the work that that you've been doing. And uh, I can't wait to come back to your restaurant. Yes. Can't wait to meet in person. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for being here. I appreciate it. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. I'll see you soon. See you soon. That was Moonlin Sai. You can follow her on Instagram at Moonlin Sai, and you can learn more about Heart of Dinner and donate at Heart of Dinner. Thank you so much for listening. Takeaway Only is produced by Casey Khan, Rob Corso, and me, Howie Khan, for Freetime Media. Our logo is by Reynald Philippe at Beeples. Music by John Palmer. Special thanks to Kristen Millar, Antoine Ricardou, Raphael Weil, and to the whole team at Welcome. Check out their important community building work at welcomeconference.org. We're back tomorrow. This is Takeaway Only.